The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to BGN Radio. Why would you listen to any other Eagles <laughs> podcast with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gallup? Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 56. I'm John Stolness from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to have a special mailbag edition of BGN Radio. Uh, we're going to take some Twitter mailbag questions coming up in just a few minutes. Lots of different topics to cover. Thanks to our Twitter followers, uh, mine and BLG, BGN Radio Twitter feed as well. So we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. We'll talk about some news that Adam Schefter made on Malcolm Jenkins, Joe Douglas interviewing for the New York Jets job and some sad news uh, regarding Nick Foles, our Super Bowl hero from two years ago. Joining me to talk about all of these different things is uh, the man behind BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Galton. Brandon Lee Galton, BLG, how you doing, my friend? John, feeling good. Obviously out at OTAs earlier this week, the Eagles' second OTA practice. Let me tell you, my friend. Carson Wentz is looking really good. It's hard not to feel good about the Eagles and the outlook of this team when you're watching him look good, when you're seeing Lewis Riddick, who accurately predicted, you know, Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes were going to have big seasons over the past two years. And all, all of a sudden, he's just out there saying Carson Wentz is going to be MVP. I mean, it's hard not to feel good about the team's outlook when the most important player is looking pretty good. Absolutely. He's the biggest question mark, the number one storyline, and really the only storyline, I mean, that we that there is to talk about right now with this team in 2019. It kind of all rests on his shoulders. And uh, I know you and Michael Kiss talked about his OTA performance quite a bit in episode 55 earlier this week. So make sure you check that out. And uh, I agree with Lewis Riddick. I mean, I think Carson Wentz, I don't know if he's going to win MVP. Because we, we still live in a world where Patrick Mahomes is out there, where Drew Brees is out there. Tom Brady always seems to figure out a way to win that award. But I, I do agree with the consensus. And I think it is a growing consensus, BLG, that Carson Wentz is going to have a really good year if he's healthy. And that's the big question. I think the number of people who question Carson's actual talent are so few and far between now that... Those people have to be, and whether you're local or national, whatever it might happen to be, you're a troll if you don't believe Carson <laughs> Wentz is a good quarterback. I, I think that's where we are. If Carson Wentz is healthy, he's going to be an MVP candidate because he has so much talent around him on the offense, BLG. It's crazy. You ran down the list of all of the insane talent that he has on offense now. We're going to get into some running back stuff a little bit later uh, with some of our uh, mailbag questions, and I have some thoughts on that. But generally speaking, this is a football team that should put up a bunch of points this year, and Carson Wentz is going to be the guy to do that. Are you saying Joe Giglio is a troll, John? No, you think... <laughs> I mean, no, Joe Giglio hasn't said he thinks Carson Wentz is going to be bad this year, right? Mm, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that with Joe, uh, hopefully at some point. I think either Kist is going to be on WIP or... I'd love to have Joe on on the show here. Yeah, debate that. I like. Joe. I love Nothing Joe. Joe's great, but uh, I I know he I know he's a little he has been a little more pessimistic on Wentz in the past, and you know I thought last year you know his assessment of Wentz's play was maybe a little more severe than it needed to be, but I mean he was accurate in that in that Wentz was not playmaking as well, and if Wentz is not yeah. making plays with his legs, he's not as effective of a of a quarterback, and you know the whole thing was about health. He wasn't healthy last year. He had a broken yeah. back. I mean it's it's easy. Yeah. Moving forward, the projection, I think, is looking good. I think part of the thing that's funny about Carson Wentz's skepticism is that it seems to just continue to pop up no matter what he does. 
going into you know 2016, there was a lot of Carson Wentz skepticism, like, oh, the Eagles traded up for this guy. He's not even worth it. He's going to be a bust. And then he goes out in his first three games, and he proves everyone wrong for a time. And he makes those doubters look foolish. Now, he obviously came down to earth a little bit at the same time. He had players like Doriel Green Beckham and Josh Huff and Jordan Matthews. And Man, that was a his bad running back was, th- These are players who aren't even in the league anymore. Like Ryan Matthews didn't even play yeah. again after the 2016 yeah. wow, season. Ryan He's Matthews. your best running back. Ooh. So like, yeah. So uh, he falls off obviously a little bit as a rookie. Kind of finishes the season okay. And then goes into 2017, obviously, with a lot more skepticism once again. Everyone's talking about how Dak is better than him and Carson Wentz isn't even that good, blah, blah, blah. The injury narrative wasn't there, obviously, because he had just completed a 16-game season. But it was just kind of like that Carson Wentz isn't even that good. And he goes out in 2017. He has that MVP-like campaign. Mm-hmm. And he proves a lot of those doubters wrong. You know, they couldn't say anything for a while. And of course, then he gets hurt. And now we have the two, the whole 2018 season going on where the doubters come back because Carson Wentz doesn't play at a high level. It's just, that's kind of how it goes with him. It's like if Wentz never plays like perfect, like the haters are just, they're just out there ready to come out of the woodwork and jump on him. And it's kind of funny to me because it's just like, haven't you guys learned from your mistakes yeah. by now? Yeah. Like, are, like, why are you betting against this guy? You know the upside is there. I mean, you're basically, if you're a Carson Wentz skeptic, like the biggest thing you're hoping or holding on to is that he gets hurt, which is like a pretty crappy thing to be wishing, even if you're a Cowboys fan. Like, you don't want to see Carson Wentz get hurt. Like, that's just not what you root for. You, you want to see him struggle. Like, that's what you want to see him do if you're not a Carson Wentz fan. We should not be rooting for injuries here. I just think it's kind of funny to doubt him like that. And to me, you know, it's kind of hard to separate. You make an effort, I feel like, to kind of separate, you know, having the midnight green glasses on from what you're actually seeing out there on the field. Look, you know, we're bleedinggreennation.com. You know, we're a fan perspective outlet. Yeah. So we want to be positive. But, I mean, I'm not going to just lie to you. Like, Carson Wentz is looking terrible out there. I'm not going to say he's looking great. But from what I've seen, he does look really good. And I like what I've seen from him in terms of his decision-making and his arm strength and his accuracy so far. And it's only been two OTA practices. Right. So, you know, it's early in the offseason. And look, Nick Foles wasn't good in practice. Yeah. Like, when I, he used to practice last year, even as, as recently as last year, like, he was not a very good practice player. He just – he stunk. And part of that is because you can make your mistakes in practice. Like, that's the time to get them out. And that's the kind of the time to work through things. So – uh, it doesn't mean the world that Carson Wentz is looking good right now. But I, I kind of like what I was talking about just then was like the attributes. Like you can see those. You know those are those are real, like those things. And that's why you're betting on Carson Wentz because he has those traits. And you're feeling like he's going to be healthy now this year. And the mobility should be more of a factor for him, especially because he's not even wearing a knee brace anymore. And he won't be restricted in that way. So uh, all that said, I just feel like there's a lot of reason to believe Carson Wentz even if he's not an MVP, like he's going to be playing, I feel like, at a very high level. He could be in that conversation. Yeah. Um, how seriously he is in that conversation remains to be seen, but he's going to be in that discussion. Well, we'll have lots of time over the offseason here to talk about Carson Wentz, but it's very encouraging, uh, the news coming out of OTAs regarding him and the relationship that he seems to be developing with Deshaun Jackson and uh, some of the other talented players he's got surrounding him. Um, but to kind of veer away from, from Carson Wentz and OTAs a little bit, uh, we'll get into some front office news here. And we found out this week, BLG, that Joe Douglas is interviewing for the general manager job with the New York Jets. He'd either uh, gotten permission from the Eagles to do that. I, I, I would imagine the only way he's even taking this interview is if the Jets have told him he would have some kind of final say over personnel up there in New York because I can't imagine him leaving an organization like the Eagles to go become the general manager for the New York Jets to play for a coach that had absolutely no I mean to to be the general manager of a team that is led by a coach that had absolutely no success who fired their general manager after the draft was over after all of the decisions had been made for 2019 to to then go up to to New York and and to interview for this job BLG, these jobs don't come around very often. You you never know when the next one might come, if the next one might never come. But all that being said, we, we addressed this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. A couple of weeks have gone by. If you're Joe Douglas, what do you need to hear 
from the New York Jets because this is as much Joe Douglas interviewing the Jets as them interviewing him. What do the Jets need to tell you if you're Joe Douglas in order for you to take that job? I think they need to sell you on a long-term vision. You know, Adam Gase is our guy as a head coach. Like, we, we love him a lot. I personally, you know, not the biggest Gase guy and plenty of skepticism about that. But I'm saying if I'm Joe Douglas, you know, I want to hear there's stability here. The head coach is in place. The quarterback is in place, which he knows Sam Darnold is. Uh, the ownership is kind of murky there because uh, I believe it's like Woody Johnson's son running the team right mm-hmm. now since Woody Johnson is part of, like, the Trump administration. Yeah, so there's, he's but an then, like, there's, yeah. yeah, but then, like, you know, that could change you know with the election coming up you know next year so like that could potentially change (laughs) he could be Mm -hmm. out of the administration and then if that's the case then like woody johnson might be coming back to the team being like hey like i want to run my team again so i don't really so that's kind of like a factor i guess that's kind of there to consider and the stability of all of that kind of thought it was interesting what mike lombardi uh, a name that Hello. Eagles fans will certainly uh, remember <laughs> yeah. for certain reasons. Did he, did he say what? Joe Douglas would be the least qualified general manager candidate in NFL history? <laughs> he did not. Oh, okay. Um, of course not. Yeah. But he did say that uh, Joe Douglas wants to leave Philly. Uh, he said, I quote unquote, I don't think Joe Douglas is really com- that comfortable in Philadelphia in this current setup. Um, he kind of the paint the painted the picture like the Eagles are going more analytical, heavy. Like they're still going to have a quote unquote old school personnel department, but I guess like it just feels like that like Joe Douglas isn't necessarily itching to stay for the long term and could be on his way out. It's kind of just weird that we haven't seen him hired already. I know he's going to have the interview this weekend, so that explains part of that. But it just feels like so many people have said. It's like a foregone conclusion. It's a formality that he's going to the Jets. Like It's almost a little weird. It hasn't happened yet in that regard. Or it just kind of makes you think like, okay, well, if it's so obvious, is it really going to be obvious? Like if everyone keeps saying it, is it true? Or, yeah. you know, do people have a bad read on this? And I guess my opinion would be that it's probably not a bad read. And it sounds like he is going to be, he he's, it clearly seems like he's their top choice. Like I don't yeah. think there's any debate about that. It's kind of more if he wants to go. And I guess, I think he probably ultimately does want to take that job um especially if he has this kind of it doesn't sound like an amazing relationship with adam geese in the sense of like it's this long-term thing they've been together forever like that's not the that's not really what the the picture is it's more of like they've overlapped uh in the past and they seem to like each other and they feel like they can work together so it's kind of like it's kind of like in college he's like a guy you had a couple of classes with your junior year and you're like yeah i like talking to that dude he was all right yeah not your roommate but you know yeah it's better than like going in blind right you know to some situation we don't know this guy or or you've heard bad things it's like well at least i know this guy is like i can work with him so that's that's something so i think that's the situation there i think if you're an eagles fan it gives you all the more reason to root for the Jets. The Jets should be your AFC team, along with the Colts, if you want to throw them in there because of Frank Reich. But the Jets, to me, should be even uh, – you have even more reason to root for them because of the whole Sam Darnold thing and him potentially you know, being this great quarterback while the Giants passed on him. <laughs> uh, and the, the Giants have to deal with you know Sam Darnold succeeding in their own stadium. So between that and Joe Douglas growing up there, it would be kind of fun to follow – I think one of the concerning things for the Eagles, if Joe Douglas leaves, is like how much of the personnel department he takes with them. Because when you think about it, the Eagles already lost, what's his name? The guy from uh, their their pro personnel guy who went to the Raiders, Dwayne Joseph. Uh, and the Eagles have made a lot of good pro personnel additions. You think back to last season, you know, they, they found Craven LeBanc. They added Trayvon Hester, like they were, and then even Jordan Matthews had been with the team before, but still they picked him over other receivers out there. Uh, and the fact that you know the personnel department has been a strength of this team, and now you're losing a Dwayne Joseph, and now you're potentially losing a Joe Douglas, and not only him, but potentially some of those other guys that he brought to Philly from Baltimore in the front office. So that's just kind of something that I don't think it's life or death. It's not like it makes or breaks the season. But that could add up over time Like if they don't replace those guys, if they don't restock the front office talent. One of the other things uh, that came out this week, Adam Schefter broke this news when he was on 97.5 The Fanatic, and I would still be surprised if it goes down this way. But Schefter indicated that safety Malcolm Jenkins could miss the mandatory minicamp coming up next month, BLG, and I just have a hard time seeing that happen. I mean, he's obviously way more dialed in than, than any of us are, and I'm sure his reporting, whoever told him that, he's reporting it accurately. But what is the upside for the Eagles to let it get that far? 
I know that they have plenty of cap space, and I, I know that they don't want to just give money away to a, a player who's in his early 30s who at some point is going to start to be slipping a little bit. But, you know, we talked about this on the podcast a little bit last week, too. And and if you're looking at, if you're worried about Carson Wentz extension money, well, the, the money that they have under the cap is is not what you would give Carson Wentz this year anyway. So, I mean, if you dip into that sum for Malcolm Jenkins, you're going to have to figure something else else out with Carson Wentz anyway as far as an extension is concerned. So... I guess my question is, what is, what possible reason could the Eagles have to not make Malcolm Jenkins happy? And if they don't, BLG, how big a deal is it if he skips mandatory minicamp? Uh, they don't really have good reason to keep him not happy. They should be making him happy. And they have some time here. You know, mandatory minicamp begins on June 11th. So they have, you know, at least almost two weeks here, just a little under that, to uh, potentially work out a deal that would have him attending minicamp. Maybe it's a situation, though, where it's kind of like a, an agreement to some extent where the Eagles are fine with Malcolm Jenkins missing that minicamp because, again, he'll get fined $80,000, which really isn't a lot for, you know, obviously a guy who makes that much money. And it doesn't compare to the training camp fines, which if you miss a day of training camp, it's like much more harsh than missing a couple of days of mandatory minicamp. So the Eagles could always waive that fine. Like Malcolm Jenkins could miss those days and that would kind of be him making a statement like, okay, like I'm serious about this guy. It's like, I'm going to, if, you know, I'm missing mandatory minicamp, I'm willing to, to take a loss because I'm really serious about wanting this new contract. I don't blame Malcolm Jenkins if that's the case. And if it's the Eagles, I would want to make him happy as soon as possible and preferably before then. But if they didn't, like, it's not the worst thing to me that he's still missing some spring reps that he probably doesn't really need after playing a full season worth of defensive snaps last year. And really, you know, uh, since he signed in Philly, he hasn't missed much time at all, hasn't missed a single game, has barely missed many snaps. I'm not going to be super upset if he's missing spring reps. Uh, and saving his body for the season. I think that's part of why he isn't going to be here or hasn't been here so far. This is a guy that the rest of the secondary looks up to. And as I think about Malcolm Jenkins, I think like, you know, you could bitch and moan about paying him when he's in his early 30s. But at the same time, at some point, you're not going to have a Malcolm Jenkins to pay. They're all in for 2019. You've already committed all this money to some aging veteran defensive players. Just bite the bullet, you know, give, we don't know. And we don't know exactly what Malcolm's asking for, whether he's just asking for more of his current contract to be guaranteed or whether he wants you know, a larger contract with more guaranteed money. We're not exactly sure what, what's going on as far as the actual ask is concerned, but I don't, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I think, I think that's what you're hinting at that if he missed mandatory minicamp, but it wouldn't be good either, especially when there's no reason when there's no reason for this to be a contentious thing. So hopefully the Eagles will get something done here with Malcolm Jenkins over the next couple of weeks. We got some sad news uh, this week, BLG. Uh, some concerning information was going around at the beginning of the week with Nick Foles uh, missing uh, voluntary uh, workouts with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And some cryptic stuff started going around on, on Wednesday morning where team officials were talking about their prayers and, and good wishes were being with Foles and his family. And I know we were all concerned. I mean, any, any Philadelphia Eagles fan is going to be keeping close tabs on anything that goes on with Nick Foles for the rest of his career. And obviously it was concerning. And we found out uh, later in the day on Wednesday uh, from a, an Instagram post that his wife Tori put up that uh, the couple has uh, suffered a miscarriage uh, of their second child because of a an infection of pneumonia in the blood. And, you know, BLG, there's really not a whole lot to say about this other than it's just it's it's horrible. And as, as someone with with three kids, we my wife and I were exceedingly lucky with having our children. And I, I this is not the case for most people. We had so few problems with us being able to have children. It was an unbelievable blessing. And but I I mean, I have close relatives who have gone through almost the exact situation that the Foles are going through and I can't I can't even imagine. I can't even fathom what kind of pain that is. And so obviously, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with the Foles family. Um I just wanted to toss it to you and see if you had anything that that you wanted to add. Yeah, man. I mean, I can't, like, I can't even imagine. That's devastating. I would just like to encourage people, you know, if you haven't already, you know, maybe not the worst idea to send them a tweet at Nick, you know, at Nick Foles or leave a, a comment on the Instagram post that Tori posted and kind of just, you know, let them know that, uh, you know, we're here for them. You know, we still love them, have a lot of support for them. I've already seen a lot of comments like that. So they're out there and that's great to see. 
because um, that's the case. You know, Nick Foles is always going to be Philadelphia legend, and uh, I think it's just nice to help remind him of that fact and just, you know, to kind of be here for him in our own way, you know, while we can in this hard time. And it's it's good to see him back at practice. You know, mm-hmm. he, he returned to Jaguars OTAs on Thursday. So, um, you know, good to see him back there. And, you know, it sounds like he's doing well there in practice and he's impressing early on. So, uh, you know, all the best for the Foles family, you know, moving forward in a really hard time. Yeah, I know you said the, the Jets should be uh the AFC team that we root for, but we, we couldn't blame you if you also picked the Jaguars. I think all yep. of us are going to be keeping an eye, a close eye on what Jacksonville does uh, this season uh, with a hard rooting interest uh, for Nick Foles to do well down in Florida. So BLG, uh, now that you're a couple days removed from the public uh, OTA practice that the media was able to see, any other thoughts on, on OTAs? I, I know it was kind of weird that Miles Sanders wasn't in attendance at all during either of these two OTAs. Uh, one of the things Adam Schefter mentioned on 97.5 The Fanatic was that he's been dealing with a hamstring injury, uh, saying that it isn't serious at all, um, but uh, that the team was just trying to be careful with uh, what drills they put him through. And they, these OTAs, as we talked about a couple podcasts ago, really are for the rookies to kind of get themselves acclimated and get themselves ready to go. And, you know, how big a deal is it for a rookie who we I think a lot of people expect to have a significant role in this offense next year? I'm a little skeptic. I'm still a little skeptical on exactly how much Miles Sanders is going to either play or how productive he'll be as a rookie in this offense. But we'll, I want to get into that a little bit more once we get into to the mailbag because we have a question about Miles Sanders in there. And um, how damaging, how important is it that he missed uh, these OTAs or is it just not a big deal at all? I mean, it's just boring. Like, you want to see him out there. Like, that's one of the most exciting players on the roster that you could watch in OTAs. So this has kind of been a bummer that he hasn't been able to participate. Now, the good news, of course, is that Adam Sefter said he should be able to be back as of Wednesday, which, you know, the practice wasn't open to the media on Wednesday or whenever it was, Thursday uh, this week. So the hope, and I'm guessing, is that Miles Sanders will be back for Monday's practice coming up here on June 3rd. It'll be interesting to see him out there and how he looks. And I agree with you, John, in terms of the expectations for Miles Sanders and ESPN's Mike Clay put one out there on his uh, insider column for ESPN. And I believe he had Miles Sanders with... Uh, 174 carries for 733 yards, five touchdowns. And then as a receiver, he had him at 39 receptions for 311 yards and two touchdowns. So altogether, uh, you know, it's over a thousand yards from scrimmage and it's seven total touchdowns. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd be very happy with that, yeah. with Miles Sanders. Uh, those are optimistic projections for Miles Sanders in part because rookies take time, I think, to develop in today's NFL. It's, I think it's hard to just expect uh, Miles Sanders to come in and be this instant stud. I think that's what people want to happen. So I think that kind of gets conflated with what people expect to happen because like, you're feeling optimistic. You want to see it and it would be great to see. And I think the ceiling is there. I'm not saying it can't happen. I think Miles Sanders has that potential. But I, to just say it's a guarantee, like I don't think that's likely, especially because, again, he's in this running back rotation. Jordan Howard's still here, guys. Like he's not. He's not just like disappearing in the thin air. And I know like he's only under contract for one more year. And I know his skill set is limited in some ways. But as I was saying to BGN's Michael Kist on episode BGN Radio episode 55 earlier this week, like, I, I like what I've seen out of Jordan Howard so far. And it's only OTAs and it's not, you know, it doesn't mean everything. But like, again, he's not chopped liver. I, I don't think like it's as simple as you traded for Miles Sanders and, or sorry, you traded for Jordan Howard and like, and by the way, remember how much hype there was when they did that? The, like people were thrilled because at that point, the Eagles hadn't addressed the running back position at all. So everyone's like, oh, we got Jordan Howard. He's going to be this big difference maker. And I was kind of like trying to temper expectations for him. And now all of a sudden, the Eagles draft Miles Sanders. And it's like, Jordan Howard who? Like he's out the door. Uh, so I think that's kind of funny how that's worked. And again, it's not even a slight against Miles Sanders. I just think it's the reality of the Eagles running back position. Uh, the rotation they use, the fact that Sanders, like, he has to prove himself. You know, he's not like, just, he's not a proven commodity by any means. Like, he is upside for sure, but he needs to prove that he can fix his fumbling issues that he had at Penn State. He needs to prove that he can be better in pass protection. So it's just kind of, I don't want to say it's reckless or irresponsible because it's just sports and who cares, but, you know, it's a little, uh, you know, it's a little, whatever you want to call, premature, I guess to kind of just throw out those big numbers and assume he's going to get there. Again, I, the ceiling is there to me, but I'm not going to like just bet on that as a sure thing. 
Yeah, Mike Clay is a fantasy football guy, and he's an Eagles guy. I mean, Mike Clay is an Eagles fan, so I mean, he's he does. I think maybe it's a little bit of green. You you mentioned it before, midnight green colored glasses here. But if, if Miles Sanders is getting 733 yards rushing, he's probably the team's leading rusher. Yeah. Given given this rotation, so how many yards are we are we then predicting for Jordan Howard? You know, <laughs> I, I don't think there's any way Miles Sanders outrushes Jordan Howard. And if you're telling me both these guys if, that Jordan's going to get uh, 750 yards rushing and Miles going to, if you're telling me they combine these guys are going to rush for over 1300, 1400 yards, I'm just not buying that on a and, not and, run heavy team. You know, I'm no. the pass the ball. <laughs> And look, we, we've talked about the fact that good football teams, good offenses need to be able to run the ball. There, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, I think Jeffrey Lurie in an interview that he did with Shale Capadia, who's a friend of the podcast, yeah, he, he was talking about the, the idea of being a run-heavy team really just is stupid anymore. But that doesn't mean that you don't run that you don't try to run the ball effectively. And that's why they went out and got Jordan Howard. That's why they drafted Miles Sanders. They obviously know that having good running backs is important. In 2017, we, we saw a lot of Carson Wentz and all of the great plays that he did. But I've mentioned this over and over and over again. People forget how many big running plays this team had in 2017. How when there were some games when the Eagles were just a great grinded out running team. There were a number of games in 2017 where the passing game just wasn't firing on all cylinders and they relied on the running game. You have to be able to do that sometimes. But that doesn't mean, like you said, this is going to be a, a, a type of team where you have a you have 14, 1,500 yards combined from your, your two leading rushers. That's just not how this is all going to go down. So if you're a fantasy football player and you're drafting Miles Sanders based on 733 yards rushing and 300 yards receiving... You're going to be woefully disappointed because I don't think we're getting anywhere. There. Let's let's wait until we get into the ma- into the mailbag to kind of talk about more specific numbers because we have a um, someone who w- wants to ask us a question about uh, Sanders and Corey Clement. So we'll get to that coming up here in just a few minutes. In fact, we will start to open up the mailbag in its entirety coming up next right here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. So BLG, what do you say we crack open the mailbag, buddy? Sounds good. SRM Chef at SRM Chef, who asks, could the Eagles possibly implement a system in the secondary similar to the D-line with rotations Mm. to keep players fresh and work the matchups better since they have a lot of talent but no real bona fide number one? It's interesting. I don't think I've seen or heard of a secondary operating that way, but for a secondary that I've said a bunch of cornerbacks where there is no superstar... You've all got a bunch of guys who bring different skill levels and different talents to the position. I wonder if this would work. What do you make of this idea? I mean, I think they already do. You know, they obviously rotate defensive backs in in terms of like they want to have different looks with a dime package or their nickel package. And to this question's point, you know, we already have seen the Eagles rotate some of their defensive backs in practice. Like we saw Avante Maddox on the outside this week, where last week when we had seen him, he was in the slot. And Sidney Jones now was in the slot this week after being outside last week. I think part of it isn't even just, okay, we have this set plan of wanting to rotate guys. I think part of it is we're rotating some of these guys to figure out like what the best pairing is. Hopefully, they kind of have that open, mi- open-mindedness during the season where you know if someone's struggling, you shouldn't be too reluctant to put someone else in because someone on the bench might be able to come in and play and give you stability instantly. Um, so I think the the key thing is for them to kind of keep experimenting with these things. I think obviously once you find something that works, like stick with it. You know, there's no need to change a good thing. But until then, just keep trying to plug in those options and figure out what works until you find some kind of success or some kind of stability. There are also some injuries uh, that uh, some of these players are going to be coming back from this year. And, uh, you know, who knows exactly how some of these guys will respond coming back. How, how have they looked? You know, the, the players who are, is there anybody, is there anybody in the secondary who, who hasn't been at OTAs uh, of note BLG in the secondary? Uh, besides Malcolm Jenkins, uh, right. um, Rodney McLeod still recovering. He hasn't been able to practice yet. Uh, obviously had that ACL slash MCL in week three last year. So he's on the mend. I know uh, Ronald Darby for sure has been participating in warmups, you know, when they're stretching before practice which isn't very extensive or you know exhaustive by any means but still it's good to see him there because you're not seeing guys like Brandon Brooks uh you know some of the more injured guys like that out there in the warm-up so it seems like he could you know it seems like he's making good progress for as much as he can uh you know probably not going to see him 
by the end of spring practices by any means, but you're hopeful that we'll see them at some point in training camp. Jalen Mills, I don't think I've really even seen him at all. So I guess you could, I don't know if he's there. I don't know, you know, what, what his deal is basically. Um, so that's kind of notable, but you know, we know he's coming off the men because he had that foot issue late last year. So they have a lot of things to figure out there in terms of injuries. And it almost makes me wonder, like, <clears throat> like on paper, I'm pretty sure that Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills are your starters at cornerback, like right now. Like if, if the season started today and they were healthy, those guys were healthy, they would be starting, but they're not. And if the backups play well, like if Rizzo Douglas really steps up here and seizes the job, how do you take him off the field? So that's kind of going to be interesting to see. Well, that dovetails into the next uh, Twitter question that I wanted to ask you about. Charles Jones at Charles S. Jones 13 says, what's the argument for starting Mills over Sewell? Both are vulnerable deep, but only one produces turnovers, excluding Mills is, of course, Schwartz's long-lost son reasons. Is there is there a reason to go with Mills over Rasul Douglas other than the fact that Mills seems to be a favorite of Jim Schwartz and he had the job before he got injured? Yeah, I mean, he did start for a Super Bowl winning team. That's not nothing. It's not everything. <laughs> you know, he's had his struggles. He drives you mad. But, I mean, he's not, you know, like some total, you know, trash player that I think people make him to be out of times. He's definitely frustrating. He's very good in the red zone. We know that. Joe yeah. Mills, like, he's really, really good down there. So that's part of it, I think. Uh, you can't get burned on a double move in the red zone most of the time. So, and, yeah. That's... And that's part of what, like, Jim Schwartz is thinking. Like, he's thinking, like, I don't care about yards a ton. Like, yeah, he'll give up a big play. So what? He'll be he'll be great in the red zone, and he won't give up a touchdown, and that'll be fine enough for him. So I think I'm I'm trying to put myself into Schwartz's mindset there. If I'm looking at it from my perspective, like I, I think Sewell, the way he played at the end of last year, or what I've seen from him in OTA so far, which has been encouraging, like I think he's ready to potentially make a leap here. And I haven't always been the biggest Rizul fan in the past. Not that I didn't. I liked his profile. I didn't love the hype. Like people were really hyped about him coming in, and I get it, and I see why. But I, I just feel like, you know, he's slower uh, or he, like you look at his speed overall. He's not the fastest corner out there. And, and we've seen it. You saw it last year. We've seen him get burned a bit. I don't love that, but uh, it kind of comes with the, the territory of he'll make some big plays too. And if he's going to make some big plays, then it's not so much of a big deal if he's going to get burned at times. And that's what you want. Um, so I think Rizal can hopefully try to find a way to stay in the lineup if he is going to come up with those big plays that we saw him make and if he is going to be able to produce those turnovers. I think he has a good opportunity in front of him here. It's really just going to be a matter of him staying healthy and continuing to make these plays and basically you know, do as much as he can to make the coaching staff not be able to take him off the field. Next question is from O'Brien94 at Eyeball94. Uh, he says, uh, do you think the Eagles could look to make a move for a guy like Solomon Thomas? Solomon Thomas, of course, uh, the third overall pick uh, by the 49ers in the NFL draft uh, back in 2017. He's a defensive end. Had kind of a, he's had a disappointing career so far, but uh, a lot of people think he's got talent. I know uh, Solomon Thomas feels like he has a lot of talent, but uh, so far he has not had that breakout season. What do you know about Solomon Thomas, if, if if anything? I mean, he's not a he's not a real well known guy. He's not talked about a lot around Eagles circles. But it's really ironic, BLG, and maybe this is just a way to talk about the defensive end situation as a whole. You know, there were a, a, some good defensive ends that were available in free agency. This was a draft that everybody was talking about was stocked with quality defensive ends. Obviously, if they're going to upgrade, they're going to need to do it in trade. And uh, is a guy like Solomon Thomas somebody that you would be interested in? Yeah, I don't know about him specifically in his situation. I can't tell you that I've watched a lot of 49ers football, uh, thankfully, over the past <laughs> yeah. whatever years he's been playing there. I do think the Eagles aren't necessarily done at defensive end. It's not necessarily in inside information for me as much as I just look at that position. Like, they lost a lot there, John. They lost Chris Long and Michael Bennett. And that duo combined last year had 15.5 sacks 35 quarterback hits 67 quarterback hurries and four forced fumbles that's a lot of production that's just yeah. gone now like it's gone and now they added malik jackson it compensates for some of that they drafted you know sharif miller they still have josh sweat they added deshaun hall late last year joe osman is still around like they have guys here who they clearly think have upside and do have upside, at least in theory. So it's not like the cupboard is bare. I get it. And I think your your top three defensive ends on paper, like there's reason to feel good about Brandon Graham, 
you know, coming off of, a, uh, you know, no longer coming off, I should say, that ankle injury he had to deal with, mm. which is late last offseason. Yeah. Uh, it was in May. That's usually not a time when a player is getting surgery. He got it last May because it was like he waited for that surgery because he knew he'd be out of commission for a while once he got it. And he kind of wanted to put it off because the season, you know, went so late into February and he didn't like want to, <laughs> you know, have to be in February and then get this surgery, and then he's had a commission, you know, even longer. That hampered him, I think, clearly last year. So I feel good about Brandon Graham. Although you look at this theme of like the Eagles are, are counting on these things that aren't proven, you know, like whereas Michael Bennett and Chris Long were proven players, like you weren't really worried too much. The only thing you could worry about them is them falling off cliff yeah. in terms of, you know, they're eight, they're older, which is fair. But yeah. for the most part, like, you know what you're going to get. And we don't necessarily know that with Brandon Graham in the sense of like he's coming off. Uh, four sack season and or four and a half and then you have Vinnie Curry who only had two sacks last year he was hurt kind of like Brandon Graham so you can you can look at that and be like well he'll be better this year when he's healthy and maybe that's the case but you could also wonder if you know how much gas does he have left in the tank and then Derek Barnett you know who is going to be 23 and the former first round pick obviously has a lot of upside and the Eagles clearly like him a lot. I think the the way they've handled the defensive end position tells you that they have a lot of stock in Derek Barnett. And Jim Schwartz even said this week that they felt he was playing at like a very, very high level last year before he got hurt. And it's almost like they don't even need to see him progress as much as they just need him to get healthy. That's kind of the way Jim Schwartz phrased it. No, I would disagree. And I, I like Derek Barnett, but I feel like we need to see him make a, another jump from last year to this year in his development. So it just feels like the Eagles don't have, you know, a ton still here at defensive end because if one of those top three guys gets hurt, like, okay, what do you have then? Let's say Derek Barnett gets hurt again. Then you have Brandon Graham, Vinnie Curry, and what exactly? I mean, yeah. maybe Chris Long, you kind of coax him out of retirement at that point. But, I mean, if not, like, I, I don't know what you have. So I, I just feel like they're not they're not done necessarily at defensive end. And uh, credit to friend of the pod, Bo Wolf, who pointed out that Jim Schwartz had mentioned at one point during his press conference that he feels like Jim Schwartz now saying that he feels like the personnel department has done a great job of adding guys at various points. So maybe that was kind of like a signal to like, hey. Yeah. Get us another pass rusher. Yeah, it could be. Very well. Um, one more question before we take our next break. Philly Nova at Nova Philly asks, who is your favorite Jag of this current Eagles roster and then of all time? And, of course, when we refer to Jag, we're talking about not a former Jacksonville Jaguar, but uh, one of those just another guys uh, on the roster, kind of the overachievers, I guess, BLG. Is that kind of what we're looking for here? Just like one of the – like a random face-in-the-crowd kind of Eagles player? A replacement-level kind of player. You know, just a okay. guy. Just someone who – you know, they're not a, an awful player – they're not great. They're just there. You know, they're, they kind of fill a role. They fill up a spot. They're fine. Yeah. Who's your favorite Jag of this current Eagles roster right now? You know, it's kind of hard because I feel like the roster is good. So there's not like a lot of Jags on the roster. I think the general fan answer would have to be Wisniewski because he's kind of that perfect mold of what like mm -hmm. just a guy is. Like he's not he's not a bad player. You know, he started on a Super Bowl team, but he was clearly, you know, the weak link of the offensive line. So I think that's what a lot of fans would say. I wouldn't pick Wiz as my favorite, personally. I think I would have to go with Trayvon Hester. And... That's mine! You stole mine! <laughs> oh, man! Yes, well, absolutely. I feel like he's one of the only guys you could really pick. I was looking through the roster here, and there's like not a lot of other guys that I felt uh, super great about. I mean, I was tempted to say Kamu, but I feel like Kamu is more than just a guy. Yeah, he's going to be a uh, starting linebacker. Yeah, probably. And I feel like he's a really good special teams player. So like that's yeah. not just a guy to me. I feel like Trayvon Hester has to be it, just because... like. He's clearly just a guy. You know, I don't think he's anything too special. He had the big moment in the playoffs last year. Right, right. Uh, you know, solid. And I, I like it. No, I agree, man. That's exactly who I was going to say because I just, it, it's the name that popped into my head because, yeah, he was deflected the ball for the double doink in the Chicago game. So there's a little bit of love for the fact that he did play a part in a, in a great Eagles postseason victory. But, you know, he's not a guy you're looking to really do anything. He is replacement level. Absolutely. I, if I had a backup... And and maybe this doesn't really qualify either because he was the the starting left tackle for the Super Bowl team. But I think Big V. I don't know if he's mm. replacement level, but Big V is a guy who gets not much love at all in this town. And he's one of those guys who, if he's not around, 
I think you're going to miss him because he he can fill in at left tackles and do some very good things. He does some things not very well too. Against some teams, it's a terrible matchup, but against others, if you're if you've got a running game plan, I think uh, I think that's where he excels. And you know, I know he's been playing a lot of uh, right guard and OTAs. That there's a, a real possibility they move him there full time, which could make him an even better player. Might even be a better position for him. So again, he might be too good to be one of these uh, Jag guys. But uh, that was the other name that popped into my head. But I thought Trayvon Hester was was a perfect name. As far as all time is concerned, I'm going to go way back to the Buddy Ryan days. I'm going to give you Izell Jenkins, who (laughs) he was a guy who was one of those Buddy Ryan 46 defense guys that hung around for no real discernible reason. And he was kind of so bad. His nickname was Toast because of how often he used to get toasted on long bombs. I mean, he was really a a pretty bad player in the secondary but he hung around for a while and it got to the point where his misdeeds were so bad and the nickname was so good i mean when you're a cornerback nicknamed toast and you still figure out a way to stay on the roster you have to respect that in a way so i think i think my all-time favorite jag is izel jenkins blg do you have do you have another one from uh, any other eagle squad for some reason the name elger buckley came into my head um, <laughs> yeah. I always loved Elder Buck. I, I, I don't think he's just a guy, though, because he was just, like, bad. Uh, he's, like, one of those players who's, like, bad that you just irrationally love. Like, I just liked him. I knew he was bad. Um, I had no illusions about that, but I don't know. I just liked him. Another name I'm kind of thinking about, I don't, I don't I think he's probably better than just a guy, Jamal Jackson. Mm. I think it's kind of not fair to call him just a guy. I think he was better than that. I feel like Jamal Jackson, a.k.a. Jam Jax, uh, didn't <laughs> get enough, like, he didn't get his due. He was a really good yeah. center before Jason Kelsey came in and eventually replaced him. Like I, yeah, I like Jamal Jackson a lot. Um, he still kind of hangs around the Philly area. At least he has been at time to time, like doing different media stuff. Uh, by all accounts, like a really nice guy and a pretty good player. He's not going to be, you know, a Super Bowl, a super memorable player, but like he was pretty good for this team for a bit here. And if if he falls in that just a guy category, um, I'd like to give him that honor. Well, up next, we'll have a few more questions for the mailbag uh, before we wrap up episode number 56. So uh, we'll get a few more questions in up next here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. So BLG, just a few more here to finish things up uh, before we wrap up the episode. Question from Tawana at Tawana416 asks, what would be more surprising and what would be more realistic here? J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, J.Jaw, whatever nickname we're going to be calling him, that he gets more receiving yards than a healthy Alshon Jeffrey this year, or that Sidney Jones gets a starting job and goes to the Pro Bowl. What would be more surprising, that J.Jaw gets more receiving yards than a healthy Alshon Jeffrey, or that Sidney Jones gets a starting job and goes to the Pro Bowl? Yeah, that's a really good question. Kudos to the question maker yeah, here. Yeah, I like uh, it. So what's, Outside what's, the box. What is more surprising? Um, what would be more surprising, less likely? I think I know my answer, but let me hear you. I'll, I'll Give me yours first. I mean, it's tough. Like, I really want to say that like, I can't envision J.J. And a quick aside here. I talked to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in the locker room. I will have a piece up on Bleeding Green Nation about this, about the whole nickname thing. Ah. So, uh, very important journalism here being done yeah, by Yeah, all right. Um, I don't want to spoil it on the pod because I want people to read the article. So just stay tuned <laughs> for that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I just I can't see a situation in which J.J. Arcega-Whiteside outdoes Alshon. Like, even if Alshon gets hurt, I just feel like, you know, it's, like I feel like he could get a couple games under his belt and still be Well, and that's JJ. it. And we're talking about a healthy Alshon Jeffrey. She made, the, they okay, made that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I just, I, but at the same time, like, Sidney Jones can't stay healthy. Ugh, man, this is tough. I'm going to say the Sidney Jones thing is less likely just because he's only played in, like, 20, he's played in, I think, 27% of his games mm. so far. Injuries have been an issue. Even if he's healthy, like there's no guarantee he's playing a ton because you have potentially other defensive backs getting on the field ahead of him here. Um, it might be the better bet, but to me, like just the health thing with Sidney Jones, I don't feel great betting on that. See, I'll I'll take the opposite side then there, BLG. I think it's more likely that Sidney Jones gets a starting job and goes to the Pro Bowl, then Jay Jaw gets more receiving yards than a healthy Alshon Jeffrey. If if Alshon Jeffrey is healthy, I see no world in which Arcega Whiteside has more receiving yards than Alshon. I would think about it more if Jay Jaw was a field burner. 
You know, like he was a, a field stretcher. If he was a guy who was going to specialize in the deep ball, and he might have a couple games of three yard, three catches for 120. You know, some of those typical Deshaun Jackson type games where you know he only catches two balls, but they both go for over 60 yards. You know, then I could I could see a scenario where that might happen, but. That's not going to happen. Jay Jaw is very much like Alshon Jeffrey in that he's a possession receiver. He's he's going to need probably six or seven catches a game to rack up receiving yards, like Alshon Jeffrey does. And I don't see him, I don't see him getting the snaps necessary to out receive Alshon Jeffrey. Sidney Jones was a guy who, had he not gotten hurt, would have been a first round pick. I think we all agree that there is somewhere in there first round talent. I know the Eagles got him in the second round. They got him on a deal, and he hasn't shown it yet. You're right, he's been injured a lot. But I think that there is a potential possible Pro Bowl player in there somewhere. We haven't come close to seeing it yet, but it's kind of like with Derek Barnett. I think the pedigree is there, and if he gets a starting job, I could see him going to the Pro Bowl. It's highly unlikely, but I think it's more (laughs) realistic than Jay Jaw out receiving Alsha. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's move on to the next question, and uh, this has to do with the running backs. Anthony Arrett asks, uh, at Anthony underscore Arrett, who's going to get more carries this year, Corey Clement or Miles Sanders? And this uh, kind of dovetails into what we were talking about in the first segment when we were uh, kind of uh, poo-pooing some of the projections that Michael Play- Michael Clay from ESPN was giving to, to Miles Sanders of 733 yards rushing, 311 yards receiving. Obviously, BLG, if if Sanders is going to pile up those kinds of yards, 733 yards rushing, he's going to have to get a significant amount of carries. But the big question is Corey Clement. You know, none of us is really sure what happened last year. I feel somewhat good that if he, at the very, very end of the year, BLG, it seemed like Clement was picking it up. The old Corey Clement started to emerge a little bit at the very end of last year, but I worry that we are building Miles Sanders up to be more than he is this year. That being said, I I think Corey Clement gets more rushing attempts than Miles Sanders this year. No way, John. You're crazy. (laughs) Um, I'm surprised this was even a question. Like, to me, this is no way. There's no part of the thing here with Corey is that he's hurt still. You know, like he's he hasn't practiced, like, he's not practicing. And I don't know when he's going to be ready. I don't know if he's for sure ready for week one. Like, I don't. I don't know because we don't really know exactly what the whole injury issue was him with with was with him. He kind of downplayed that like it was an ACL. There's some speculation that it was because he had knee surgery. I don't know what's going on there. What I do know is that the Eagles were very high on Corey heading into last year. Like they liked him a lot. I'd heard that from numerous places. Like I don't think you know they've soured on him dramatically in one season. But I just I don't know about his health, and I think Miles Sanders is going to get opportunity this season even if it's not quite what that projection was from espn I th- he's gonna have a role on the very least at this team it's not like he's gonna be a non-factor Corey clement really kind of tops out in this offense as like a more limited role player if he has a role it might be more of a receiver than really a running back yeah so if we're talking about true. gary's yeah. here um i'm definitely gonna take sanders I just remember how many times Clement got the ball down near the goal line in 2017 and even for, for parts of last year, and it seemed like they just wanted to give Clement the ball, and maybe they won't try to force that. Because you're right, I didn't think I wasn't thinking about the injury issue with Clement. I've been kind of assuming that he's going to be ready to go by the start of the season, but you're right, he may not be. So let me circle back to that question, Anthony, because I think you're prob- BLG probably is right about that one. I, I didn't a, think about the injury issue there. I have something to add on to that. Um, okay. You know, we talked about Adam Schefter earlier in the show on 97.5 The Fanatic. He also mentioned uh, Darren Sproles, kind of what's going on with him. It sounds like Sproles still wants to play, which isn't surprising. I think that's kind of, we've kind of already known that. It's just kind of a matter of, do the Eagles or any other team want Darren Sproles? You know, water gun to my head, uh, as they would say in Birds with Friends. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Darren Sproles is going to be on this team. I don't think it's likely. But I've been thinking about it more, especially after hearing what Schefter had to say. And I don't think it's impossible because what if is what if Corey Clement isn't ready right away early in the season, or you're kind of just kind of a little bit unsure about his health, and you want Darren Sproles around as another option out of the backfield who can catch the ball? Because also, like, what if Miles Sanders, as a rookie, kind of just proves to be a little bit unreliable, more so than expected? Also, who is your punt returner right now? Like. I was talking about that with Kiss. Like, I don't know. Like, the guys they have returning punts in practice right now, besides Sean Jackson, who is not probably going to be your full-time punt returner, like, he'll do it sparingly. But I don't think you want 
age 33, Deshaun Jackson being your full-time no. punt returner. It's just he hasn't even done it too much in yeah. the past couple of seasons. Like he's done it sparingly, but he's not been that full-time guy. Um, the other guys you have are Boston Scott, uh, Donald Pumphrey, and DeAndre Tompkins, all of who could very well not be on the roster at all. Yeah, who's gonna gonna be then? So maybe, and then if, if you had Darren Sproles, he would easily fit back in that role. So I think there's a lot of reason not to resign Darren Sproles. He's gonna be 36. He's only played in like I think nine games or so over the past two seasons. But like I'm thinking about it, and I don't think the door is totally shut there. That's, I just wanted to add that on to the 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 Clement thing. I've been thinking about it more and wondering if that could be a factor. Why can't I quit you, Darren? Yeah, it might <laughs> cert- it certainly might end up being that way because I don't feel good about any of those options at punt returner for the Eagles. And uh, moving along to a, a question by a friend of the podcast, a devoted listener to the podcast, Benjamin Solik. Am I pronouncing this correctly? I'm not sure. At Benjamin Solik, I think is how his name's pronounced. Uh, he asks, how much is BLG going to miss Ben during training camp this year? Uh, wait, who is this? Benjamin, I mean, maybe I'm not. Listen, if if Benjamin Solik is listening to the podcast, if you could hit me back on Twitter and let me know if I've pronounced your name correctly, that would be great. Uh, yeah, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> I, I will say that I, you know, it was it was good to have Benjamin Solak be there last year maybe that's who this is uh maybe uh it it was fun to have been there last year i mean it was fine it wasn't it wasn't great it was okay (laughs) no i'm just kidding Uh, (laughs) oh uh i'm gonna miss ben Uh, it was fun we would have a ton of conversations now why isn't he coming back did he get banned for some reason what's going on here he's engaged now and he wants to have a life and i guess he's gonna be Mm. in michigan this summer instead of philadelphia so uh his loss he's not gonna get to see his boy boston scott uh, really light up training <laughs> camp. Yeah, so Ben and I would have a lot of good talks during training camp last year. We probably should have saved those for podcasts, but there was obviously a bunch of weird stuff going on with podcasts last summer. So unfortunately, we didn't. But yeah, so I'm going to miss those like in-conversation podcasts we used to have, especially uh, me complaining about Chance Wormack being on the roster. Uh, <laughs> so I'll definitely miss it. All right, our final mailbag question of the episode, it comes from Tom Lehman at T. Lehman, T-E-E-L-E-H-M-A-N, asks, do you think Donovan puked in the Super Bowl? Oh, I don't really, ke- I, you know, this question, for the, for the record, yeah, because we saw him throw up in Syracuse and we saw him throw up in hot, humid stadiums before. I, I, I'm pretty sure that probably happened. I don't really care. You know, it doesn't. I don't really think that penultimate drive that they, they you know, pulled within three on was necessarily because Donovan couldn't get it together. I, there's just the whole the whole team was not moving quickly enough in that particular scenario, BLG. But I think this is an interesting way to kind of seg- segue into the Donovan McNabb Hall of Fame conversation because obviously McNabb came out this week and said he thinks he's a Hall of Famer. He feels like he sh- his resume is good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think the people that the person that he gets compared to the most as far as a reason to have him in the Hall of Fame is Warren Moon. Warren Moon never even got to a Super Bowl and Donovan McNabb did. If you look at the numbers between these two guys, they're pretty similar. Now, Moon was a starter for 15 years. McNabb was a starter for 11 years. Um, So the yardage total is reflecting on that. 49,325 for Moon, 37,276 for McNabb. However, if you go by a yards per game number, Moon averaged 237.1 yards per game. McNabb averaged 223.2 yards per game. So 14 yards per game more for Moon. Moon completed just shy of 58.5% of his passes. Donovan was at 59%. Again, neither number good by today's standards, but a little less bad for their standards back in those days. 291 touchdowns to 233 interceptions for Moon. 234 to 117 for McNabb. Only 117 career interceptions for McNabb. Moon made nine Pro Bowls. Donovan made six. Moon had a career record just one game over 500, 102 and 101. McNabb had a 98 and 62 record. So I ask you, BLG, is Donovan McNabb a Hall of Famer? No, he's not. When you think about it, too, what is your, like, gut reaction when someone asks you that question it's I, a no it, it can't be like how is it yes like how i, I don't understand and yeah. i'm not even trying to hate on donovan donovan was like you know for me a childhood hero like yeah he was the first eagles quarterback i ever knew like growing i up. love like, donovan McNabb as a player. Um, yeah love like him. i had his jersey you know i was a huge donovan fan 
um, to get to interview him like BGN Radio did at the 2017 NFL Draft. And he was like sitting literally right yeah, next to me. Yeah, that was cool. Like That was like amazing. I, I couldn't even fathom that. Now, obviously, there's uh, plenty of reason to be frustrated with Donovan off the field uh, and disappointed, too, and some of those things that happened or allegedly happened with the NFL Network and everything. Um, so I'm not like trying to idolize him here and say he's the perfect person by any means. Um, but just keeping it to the Hall of Fame thing. Yeah, he's just not. Everyone knows it. Like, everyone knows that. Like, deep down inside of you, it's a total, like, eye test thing. Like, it just, it doesn't even sound right. Hall of Fame, like, NFL, or Pro Football Hall of Famer, Donovan McNabb. Like, it doesn't sound right. I think he is close. I, I always think about how Tom Brady is still playing. And, like, Donovan McNabb, like, isn't even that different, like, age-wise from him. Like, there is a world where Donovan, I guess, maybe, like, takes care of himself better or whatever and is able to extend his career more. In that world, maybe he is. Like, I don't think he is super far away, but I think he is, like, considerable distance away where he is not in the Hall of Famer. And the way his career ended was pretty bad. He obviously was great with the Eagles, but outside of that, he was, he was like, horrible with Washington yeah. and then Minnesota. Minnesota. And those mm-hmm. things count against you. Like that counts against your legacy when you're, when you're bad like that. Uh, like you don't, I don't think you just take the good, like you have to consider the whole picture there. And, you know, with Donovan, I just, I don't think it measures up. And I think maybe it's unfair. Um, but part of like the narrative too, or the, you know, the thing with him is he never got it done. And that's always part, like, that's how he's going to be remembered unfortunately yeah. for him. And I think that kind of goes into it too. I don't know enough about Warren Moon to really say either way, but it almost sounds to me like if it's similar that he shouldn't be in. <laughs> I don't No, Yeah. I think, I, I think with Warren Moon, I think actually what they did is they took into consideration some of his uh, time in the, uh, in the Canadian football, like it was at the USFL. He was, in. which I'm is fair. I mean, it's the pro but, football hall of fame, yeah. it's the NFL hall of fame. Like I get but, it. But at the same time, you know, I think, uh, I mean, you're right. McNabb went to five NFC championship games and only won one of those games. And he didn't play well in, in some of the other games. You know, the first one against St. Louis, he played well, and they, they just lost to a juggernaut. And the ones against Carolina and Tampa and Arizona, he didn't play great. He, he played very uneven games. And, you know, I guess it's um, with Warren Moon, he played in the run-and-shoot offense for a, a number of years when he was with the Oilers and really put up huge numbers because he was running an offense with four or five wide receivers that really was ahead of its time. No one was, no one else was running that kind of offense. And so uh, Warren Moon really benefited and, and padded his stats from playing in in a spread. It was basically a spread offense before there were spread offenses. And so that's that's how Warren Moon got a lot of his statistics. I just wonder... Let's imagine that McNabb wins that Super Bowl. Does that change the conversation? Because I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in numbers and in all these different things. I think you're right. It doesn't, in a way, it doesn't feel like McNabb should be in the Hall of Fame because he didn't come through in a lot of those big spots. But if we're talking about just the Hall of Fame, Donovan McNabb was a really good player, a Pro Bowl. I, you know, he went to, what was it, six Pro Bowls, was one of the most recognizable football players of his generation. I'm not so sure that that doesn't, you know, the, the Chunky Campbell soup ads, all that kind of stuff. I mean, everyone know, knew who Donovan McNabb was. I'm not so sure that shouldn't factor in, too. You know, it's a Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily the Hall of Numbers. So hmm. that's why I would consider it. At the end of the day, I think I agree with you that he's not in the Hall of Fame. But for people who just brush it aside and say, oh, no, he's not a Hall of Famer, I think it requires some some thought. Yeah, I've, I'll give you that. I think it's like, hey, we should talk about this. But then the answer is no. <laughs> like, <laughs> Fair enough. We can talk about it. There, we can have a con- he's it, So, like, quite literally, he's in the conversation for it. Like, yeah. it's something worth talking about and looking at as opposed to, like, you know, someone else who would just clearly be like, no, like, it's not even worth spending any kind of time on uh it's worth spending some time on but i think all roads eventually end to the fact like he's just he's not do you think if he'd won that super bowl he would be in the he would get in the hall of fame yeah maybe does that does that one win one win is the difference (laughs) yeah it is it's a big it's only one but like it's oh also he didn't play great in the super bowl right Oh, he played terribly in that super bowl yeah i mean terribly in that super bowl so i mean if he plays well and he wins i think that's a huge like that's like, that might not seem like the biggest difference, but I think that's a huge difference. Yeah, huge turnovers in the first half kept the Eagles from building up a big lead, and they should have had a big lead on the Patriots going into the going into halftime. And 
yeah, some some killer McNabb uh, turnovers was probably the main reason why they didn't end up winning that game. So, yeah, you, you look at a, I, you factor all that stuff in. It's, I I agree. I don't think he's in, but um, I don't think he should be in. But I think it's really, really, really close. I think it's probably a lot closer than most people do. So, all right. Well, BLG, as we wrap up this episode of BGN Radio, any final thoughts for the listeners? Um, just you know, a couple more days of OTAs to go. Monday, June third. Then again, they have an off day on Tuesday, and then they'll be back on Wednesday, June 5th. Those are the last two days of OTAs, and then mandatory minicamp begins the next week on Tuesday, June 11th. They'll have another practice on Wednesday, June 12th, and then they'll have kind of like a BS practice on Thursday morning, June 13th, and that'll be the last practice until training camp. So five more different practices to go. As always, the practice notes will be on bleedinggreennation.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gowton to see my practice observations and pictures and videos that I tweet live from OTAs. And of course, we will always have more podcast coverage of OTAs and everything going on with the Eagles here on BGN Radio. So stay tuned. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Rate, five stars, review, all that good stuff. Thanks for listening. And folks, that'll do it for episode number 56 of BGN Radio. For BLG, I'm John Stolness. And you can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next time right here on BGN Radio. Been a little too nice to y'all. Now I got to up price on y'all. Snake eyes on dice for y'all. Shoulders on ice for y'all. Frozen. A6 all the hate. I won't get a ball today. Got lost in the ball and days. I'm flipping the balls. P G N.